G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. There are some stories about that remind us that the amazing stories we read in the book of Acts are not the end of the exciting story of God's mission to bring the good news of salvation to every corner of the earth. Well, there's something particularly exciting to talk about, the stories of older missionaries, the ones who have made personal sacrifices to take the gospel into particularly difficult settings. Back in the days when there were dangers that you might be familiar with, uh, the idea of headhunters and witch doctors. Well, it's a privilege to welcome Graham Martin, who's joining us today, who's almost 80 years old and is here to reflect with us on early days on the mission field in Papua New Guinea. He's a former leader of the Evangelical Church in Papua New Guinea and a former lecturer at the Sydney Missionary and Bible College. He's also the author of a number of books, including one called Headhunters and another called Fighting to Live, and yet another one of those titles called Wrestling with Crocodiles. You know it'll be a good conversation. A special welcome to you, Graham Martin. Thank you very much. Graham, your missionary preparation takes you right back to the 1960s. Reflect on those early days, not knowing what was ahead of you. Uh, I grew up in Brisbane and in Queensland, and I was going to be the greatest artist this world had ever seen. There were five of us in the group, the Royal Queensland Art Society, and we headed for Melbourne at the same time that Billy Graham was heading to Melbourne in 1959. God had a date with me at that point. I'm always astounded at the number of people who make an impact when it comes to the kingdom of God, whether it be in pastoral ministry or in mission, uh, who can date their salvation experience back to Billy Graham, 1959. And my wife was converted at the same time, but we didn't meet till we met on the mission field. Now, your wife, she was an integral part of those early missionary experiences that you had. So you went to the mission field as a single man. That's right. I was a bit of an individualist in those days, and I thought, if I'm going to get to know these people being married can I not set, help me get to know them. I've got to actually get amongst them, do what they do, plant gardens, go hunting, go fishing, and all of this type of thing so that I really get down to their level. And having been the author of a book called Headhunters, were there headhunters who were active in Papua New Guinea when you arrived? When we arrived... They were still in a state of shock of having been shot up by government police and officers. So they were pretty pacified at that state. But further upriver, there were people still killing people and eating them and that type of thing. And in the 1980s, this missionary called up and said, they've just killed five people on the airstrip and they're cooking them. 
Okay, they're incredible memories to have. How long did it take before some of that headhunting existence in Papua New Guinea began to subside and, uh, and, and the reputation began to change that uh, we don't eat people anymore? Yes, well, one night I was in a house with an old man and he said to me, oh, I'm hungering for human flesh. And I looked at him, I thought, well, you're about 80. I don't think you're going to knock me on the head tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that it's not always easy to sleep peacefully if you know uh, that this has been the heritage of the people that you are there called to serve. Yes, that's right. Uh, tell me about how you feel when you turn up into a village and you know that this has been the history and uh, there must be some discomfort at times, uh, knowing that it might be your last night falling off to sleep? Well, one night I went into a village where they had planned to kill me and I was thinking, okay, I can run away from this, but hang on, the local Christians have got to go through with it and there's no backing out for them. I might be able to do that. No, I'll go through with it because God can achieve what he wants to do, he's sovereign, and if he wants me to die here, he will achieve more by my death than by my life. So I will go through it with the local Christians. Is there something that wells up in you, a level of supernatural courage to face those sorts of circumstances when you find yourself in that type of setting where you could flee but you decide that in that moment you'll stay. It's like this. You have fear like every other human being. But as David said, when I'm afraid, I'm going to trust in God. Stick my neck out. And you'll always find that when you stick your neck out for Jesus, Jesus is right there and backs you to the hill. Tell me about those early connections that you made when you went into Papua New Guinea and obviously very primitive villages, headhunting that was still going on. Uh, what sort of ways do you make inroads into a community and begin to share the gospel? Well, the first thing you've got to realise realize about Papua New Guinea is they are relationally oriented. And I said, I've got to become a member of a family here. So I became a member of the crocodile family and that just opened doors everywhere. Everywhere I went, my brothers and sisters welcomed me and I was protected, I was cared for, I was one of them and I was adopted in to that family. Is that something like being the supporter of a football Team, is that to, that's exactly that right. If, if we Aussies are trying to uh, to assess how that feels, uh, being the supporter of a particular football club uh, gives you an acceptance, total acceptance. You wore their colours. Uh, you uh, yes, you yes. you celebrated along with. Uh, I imagine that they were worshiping crocodiles. Uh, I, I know you wouldn't have been getting into that side of thing, but I uh, but I suspect that there'd be all those sorts of connections for yes, a, a crocodile people. And it gave you an opportunity to present. Someone of the family presenting an alternative point of view, and you had the right to talk. No connection to the Crocodile Clan, no opportunity to speak into their lives, but the connection, uh, the orientation, the taking up of, uh, of, of their passions and their excitement about uh, 
their their connectedness together gave you an opportunity to then to be able to have a say. And he gave me a right, and you presented the gospel. And it's like when they were hunting on our land, they'd call me, Graham, we're hunting on your land, and off I'd go hunting with them. And everybody of the crocodile clan had to go. Tell me about the hunting expeditions. Well, what sometimes sort of things? you had to dodge arrows. Sometimes, like one time I was going across the land and there came this uh, wallaby across the land and it was hopping along and I'm lining it up and as I fired, it jumped and it missed. So I missed the wallaby, but suddenly a man grabbed me and you okay? And I thought, what's he talking about? And he says, look, and there in front of me was a broken arrow. The person on the other side had fired at the same wallaby the arrow had came straight for me, but God had put his hand down, broken the arrow, because arrows do not break in flight. They break when they hit something or when they leave the, arrow, uh, the bow. And this is where God put his hand down, stopped the arrow, and it broke right in front of me. As you reflect back on primitive conditions, early days of missionary activity there in Papua New Guinea, and you see miracles and things like that happening. Is this something that happens frequently uh, when you're on the mission field? God's preservation, his way of actually keeping you safe, keeping you able to be able to do his will. Is this the sort of thing you see yes, regularly? Yes, you definitely say that. In our culture here in Australia, we domesticate God. We're up there, they believe what he says, and if he says he's going to heal you, they believe that. Totally. And they ask God to heal them, and he does. And it is quite amazing to see that. I could give you a couple of illustrations of that. Do that. Let's talk about miracles and faith and believing God, taking him at his word. Okay, let's take a girl that we knew. This girl was being told by her father, who was a nominal Christian, to marry a non-Christian. She said to her father, no, father. I am told by the word of God I'm to marry a Christian and I will do that. So he beat her up and she just persisted. And then she said, well, Dad, you're not making any person here available for me, so I'm going off to marry this man. And she named him and off she went to marry him. And the thing was, they all were angry and they said, you are now going to die because you have broken with tradition." And you're marrying into a clan you're not supposed to marry into. She said, if God has called me to do it, he will protect me. She got septicemia with her first baby. And my wife said, what will we do? with nothing we can do. We sent her out to the doctor. And the doctor said, I'm sorry, she's dying. But we prayed that night in the church, a hundred men and women praying for her life. And God said, I'm going to heal her. The next morning, the doctor came in put a hypodermic syringe into her abdomen, took off 10 pints of pus. She turned the corner and totally recovered. And this is where she had believed in God. God had been good to his word and it happened. Miraculous things happen when you are on the mission fields, when you are reliant on God, taking him at his word. Graham Martin is our guest. We're hearing some stories today from a long-time missionary to Papua New Guinea, 50 years on the mission field, remembering early days 
and the author of a book called Headhunters. Graham Martin was there when there were headhunters active in his mission field activity in Papua New Guinea. We're back with more with this conversation with Graham in just a short while. A wonderful privilege today to be talking about a missionary of 50 years who can reflect back on early days in Papua New Guinea when there were headhunters. Headhunters who, not just by name, but people actively uh, killing people and eating their flesh. Uh, Dreadful to even think about it, but when there were headhunters in those early days, our guest Graham Martin was there in Papua New Guinea in the 1960s. He's now almost 80 years of age and is reminiscing about his life. One of the books he's written is called Headhunters. We've been talking a little bit about headhunters, but you were there to bring the message of the gospel, Graham. Mm -hmm. Tell me about early converts when you found your way to the mission field and you began to share your faith, share the gospel of Jesus with people. Tell us about some early converts. Well, I went to one village and it was Easter time and... Um, when I arrived there, it says, where will I stay in the village? And this man says, you come and stay with me. His name was Zuga. He wasn't a Christian. He'd been actually diving for pearl shell in North Queensland. Come down here, work there. And I went to his house and I stayed in a room there. And his wife had a big swollen hand. It was you know, infected and so forth. So you, he said, can you help us? So I had my medicine kit and I actually got out and I cared for her and I wrapped up a hand and that type of thing. But what I did was I said, we're looking at Easter and what is Easter? And you then had a little pathway in the middle of the village, just cut, cut out nice, neatly there, and then you dug a hole. I said, we're all walking down the pathway in life, but there is a hole. That's the hole of death. And how are we going to get across the hole of death? There's no way over. And I said, we now show you what Jesus did. He put a cross across the hole of death and he went over. So that if you believe in him, you will walk across death into eternal life. And this is where I explain this. And this man, Zuga, and his wife, that weekend put their faith in Christ. And the ongoing fruit that comes from those early converts, uh, is it the case that families come to Christ, that whole clans eventually come to Christ, that villages turn to Christ? Is that the way it works? Yes, his whole family have turned to Christ. But what was interesting, he became a pastor and he roams around preaching. And I was just up there two weeks ago and he came and he slept in the room beside me so that he might care for me in any need I had. He gave me meals morning, noon and night, sweet potato. We ate together. We did everything together. But he loved me and he was there to care for me in any way possible. Is there a certain sense of camaraderie or loyalty that comes, as you were reflecting a little earlier, saying that you became part of a a member of their clan, and gave you a right to speak into their lives. This sort of closeness, this loyalty, is it a lifelong loyalty that that is born with acceptance into a tribal clan like that? Well, this man, Zuga, he says, I will ring you in Australia. You're my brother. And we talked together. And during that time, there was lots of rain. It was a wet season. And this is only a couple of weeks ago. And as we walked down the village, it's quite slippery, but he stood there with one arm on my 
arm just to make certain I didn't hit the mud. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Listen, another one of your titles is called Wrestling Crocodiles. Everyone loves a good crocodile story. There must have been inspiration for writing a title like that. Well, the people used to go hunting crocodiles and they had a special method of hunting crocodiles. They used to get in the water with the crocodiles, psych them out and capture them by hand. I told the Archbishop of Sydney this and he said, I find that very hard to believe. And people do, but they do. They have learned to know the mind of a crocodile and they can psych it out and they can contrap, control it and capture it and bring it out and hit it on the head with an axe. Now, the crocodiles in Papua New Guinea are not little crocodiles. That's uh, right. We know we've got some fairly significant monstrous crocodiles uh, in the Northern Territory and perhaps Northern Queensland, but uh, they're the same size or bigger same in size, Papua New Guinea. Yes, they're the same. They're the saltwater crocodile, and these men capture them by hand. The idea is you chase the crocodile in the water, half a dozen men or ten men, that type of thing, you chase them and the crocodile's mind says, I'm being chased, I will go and lie doggo on the bottom. And that's what they're waiting for. And they go after the crocodile and they, when they, it goes to the bottom, they assemble around the crocodile who thinks he's fooled the hunters, but he hasn't. And they all line up. One has the job of holding the mouth shut because once he's got it shut, you, you can't do anything. And that man has got that job. Sometimes it backfires, but they all grab it at the one time and this one man holds the mouth shut and they all carry it out. And then they knock it on the head, cook the meat, take the skin off, sell the skin, and that's what they do. There's a good hint for someone who wants to make a crocodile documentary, although yes. it's a risky thing to, be able to, to actually reenact that. Graham, let's talk serious things by way of spirituality because while we talk about miracles, amazing things that happen when people put their faith in Christ, but there's also an alternative spirituality within and it remains today in so many tribal areas in Papua New Guinea. Tell us about the, uh, the tribal <clears throat> spirituality. Well, they believe in spirits, that there's a spirit in just about everything. And they're very frightened of them. And this is where fear is Satan's main weapon. It paralyzes them, controls them. And they're in a search for power to overcome their fear of ghosts, spirits, and sorcery. It's an amazing thing that happens because those critics who say the missionary goes in and, uh, and tramples over a culture Actually, when the gospel comes in, it frees people because they're bound by that spirituality. And I think oftentimes we'll refer to that type of thing as an animistic yes. spirituality where there's spirits everywhere and fear dominates people's lives. Uh, you would have seen the gospel liberating whole villages. Yes, and once they overcome their fear through the power of Christ living within them, because greater is he who is within you than is within the world. And it suddenly becomes meaningful. They are now able to handle life with the power of Christ, the power of the resurrection. 
Our special guest is Graham Martin. We're talking through 50 years as a missionary to Papua New Guinea. And with all of the different dimensions, as we talk as Christian believers, as an extension of all of those amazing things that we might read about in the book of Acts. Our guest, Graham Martin, is also the author of a number of books, including one called Headhunters, another one called Fighting to Live, and one called Wrestling with Crocodiles. We're back with another segment in our conversation in just a short while. Taking some time today to talk about exciting stories that come from the mission field. Our special guest is Graham Martin, a longtime missionary in Papua New Guinea. Amazing stories to tell. He's an author of a number of books, one called Headhunters, another one called Fighting to Live, another one called Wrestling with Crocodiles. Uh, there are some amazing stories that come from a mission experience over as long as you have been involved in mission in Papua New Guinea, Graham. Uh, tell me, though, about some of the radical things that you've seen, because Papua New Guinea uh, is like a frontier land. Uh, it's, it's a land of opportunity for people who want to exploit mm. uh, others, to exploit uh, Papua New Guinea nationals. You've seen some amazing things over the years. So people coming, people going, amazing things that God is doing. It's also a political problem because the man I'm going to tell you about is Simon Darius. Simon grew up in West Papua. He saw people being murdered, women being raped by soldiers. Now, he became so angry that at the age of 18, he became a member of a rebel organisation and he was given the task of moving into Papua New Guinea and growing drugs, selling those drugs in Australia for rifles, shotguns or whatever, taking them back and shooting Indonesian soldiers. How long ago are we talking about? We are talking 1990s. We were there, but we didn't know that he was even there in the area. He only operated between the hours of two or three, four in the morning. We were sleeping and he would walk past our house at that hour of the morning on his way down into Australia and we knew nothing about him. So he had a radical and amazing conversion experience. Yes. Tell us the story. Now, he was a very violent man. He, they said the gap between peace and war with him was barely a centimetre and he could be very violent. And the local people said a big revival broke out and they said, we think you ought to settle down. We think you should marry this girl, Popate, and marry her and settle down and live a normal life. And he married her and he moved into the village and he built his house right beside the church, but he never went to church but he heard the singing, he heard the gospel being preached and it began to have an impact on him. But his wife was a Christian and she wanted to go to a women's camp and he said no and she said, I'm serving God, I'm going to that camp and he was angry and off she went to the camp and he followed her the next day with his big machete to kill her. But she was in the meeting with all these women so he couldn't get at her. So when she came back, he was waiting for her. He'd boiled up a big billy can full of cooking oil and he was going to pour it over and kill her. And as he was coming down to the church and she was in the church there with the other women and they were all singing songs, 
is bringing this big bucket of boiling oil, suddenly God appeared to him and he was transformed. And he suddenly cried out and said, I'm a sinful person. God, forgive me. And he just was broken at that point. He threw away his marijuana, which he was smoking at the time, threw away his knife, his big machete, and this whole bucket full of boiling oil, and he was converted. And God raised him up as an evangelist to go round and round Papua New Guinea and then go back into West Papua to plant churches. It's an amazing story and one of so many amazing stories that transformed Papua New Guinea because it would be one of those nations on the face of the earth where so many Christian believers can point to and say there is a nation that is largely transformed. And these days, Papua New Guinea is known as a Christian nation. Although, uh, knowing what I do about Papua New Guinea, uh, oftentimes that Christianness about the people is like a thin veil, and underneath there are still uh, the customs of the past. Uh, there is still a fear and almost a reliance on uh, some of the uh, the witchcraft, the the magic that they rely on with those uh, those uh, animistic spirits. How do you reflect on Papua New Guinea and hopes for the future? Can we say, Papua New Guineans say, within the church, you've got those who are genuine believers. There are those who are skin-only believers. And this is where the difference is. They are still terrified of sorcery. And this is where you have this major problem. Now, when I was in Port Moresby only a couple of weeks ago, I asked to see a friend of mine. He'd grown up in the Suki people where we lived. His father was a medical orderly. And his son used to come along with his dad. And this little boy grew up. His name was Matthew. And he became a policeman. And he went in to serve in the government as a policeman. And he became the head of the fraud squad. And he has taken the treasurer of Papua New Guinea to court for corruption. And he is very straight, very strong Christian, a godly man. And I talked to him about his job. He says... I have to stand before these people and tell them the truth, and the truth hurts. There are so many dimensions, aren't there, of the effects of the gospel and those stories of amazing conversions, of villages coming to Christ. Those are the the beginning because as the values of Christ are introduced into a culture, uh, it has to address the corruption, and corruption is, uh, in my understanding, widespread throughout Papua New Guinea. There is a long way to go, isn't there, for the nation as a whole to really come to fruition uh, with the benefits of knowing Christ, knowing his ways, identifying with him and ruling out a lot of that uh, corrupt activity and being aligned with Christ. There is uh, one of the prime ministers of Papua New Guinea who was a good man, Sir Makari Morata, This man said, corruption is endemic and systemic in Papua New Guinea. They're big words, but they say it's right through the whole system. It's a challenge. Look, I want to thank you so much uh, for sharing your heart on these things. Always appreciate talking to older, experienced missionaries who've been there and done that, and your 50-year career in mission is just an amazing story to hear. 
Now, some of our listeners might want to get a hold of your books and a number of books that we did mention, Headhunters, Fighting to Live, and another one called Wrestling with Crocodiles. They are available, and I'll tell listeners how to. Uh, the website that you'd need to Google would be Train to Teach Ministries Incorporated. Train to Teach Ministries Incorporated. You were under the banner of the pioneers. And so for people to track you down, Graham, they'll need to take a little bit of time to just make sure they get into the right place. A pleasure talking through some of these issues. Graham Martin, our guest, reflecting on 50 years, missionary activity in PNG. And let's hope, Graham, the best is yet to come. Thanks so much for joining us today on 2020. Thank you very much. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.